Hey there, I want to invite you to join me for the Strategic Summer Workshop, which is taking place on Thursday, May 30th at 1130 Eastern. You can go to schoolsofexcellence.com slash summer to sign up. In this workshop, I'm going to walk you through how to identify simple solutions and systems that will make a massive difference and ripple effect inside of your center. I'm going to help you create efficiency where you need it most and understand what is causing your school to feel so hectic and where those big pain points are. We're going to clarify your center's priority system to improve this summer. I'm going to show you how to audit those systems. We're going to define your desired outcomes, and you're going to leave the workshop with a simple plan that will make huge impact. And by simple, I mean very simple. No complex, no multi-step processes. Super, super simple. No one has time for long things. No one has brain capacity for extra stuff. We need simple things that have massive impact. Go to schoolsofexcellence.com slash summer, and I'll see you there. Welcome to the Schools of Excellence podcast, where we have conversations about education, leadership, and building a school of excellence. The goal on this show is to bring you clarity, up-level your mindset, and give you practical strategies and inspiration so you can show up with confidence and trust your decision-making. I'm Khan Wilshansky. I'm a mom of four under 10, a former New Yorker, and been in the early childhood field my entire life. And I'm so grateful that you've joined me for this conversation. Hey there. Today is a super exciting episode that we're dropping here. I had a conversation with a good friend of mine, Scott Wayman, who's the CEO of Kangaroo Time. And Scott and I do a bi-weekly show called Owners Only Conversations, and we stream it on Facebook. And this week when we streamed our show, it was the focus of the show was around work ethic and redefining what it means to be a good employee. What does it mean to have work ethic in today's economy? And the conversation really went in so many different directions directions around immigrant children. I'm a child of immigrants. I'm a first generation American. I speak four languages actually. And how I was raised and grew up around what work ethic means. And Scott was talking about his experience in corporate America and what work ethic and how that was defined for him as well. And then we really dive into cultural norms and how to really shift the narrative and the conversation, how to create a culture of transparency and really normalizing what it means to have difficult conversations, lean into conflict, lean into the discomfort, embrace the suck, and really understand that building and sustaining schools of excellence and the leadership that it entails is so much around understanding what work ethic means in your company, in your culture, and for you. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. It was super enlightening for me. Always love talking to Scott and excited for you to dive in and create your own definition of work ethic. Welcome back to another episode of Owners Only Conversations with Scott and I. It's been a month already. I feel like every time we get back on, I'm like, a month went by. So welcome, Scott. So happy to have you here again. Always love connecting with you. Hey, honey, do you feel like the months? Okay, so so maybe it's just me. Maybe it's the way my year is engineered. I feel like Q4 and Q1 just fly. Like, yes. like wake yes. up and then all of a sudden it's April. And then sure. the rest of Q2 and Q3 just drag. But I like it because summer's fun. And yeah, that's a good part of the year to drag. But welcome to Q4 and let's yes. get ready to run. 
Yes. It's so funny. October for me is always this time where I think about next year. I always take a couple days for myself away from family, from business, and really just take time alone to think about where do I need to dream bigger? What are the next opportunities? Who do I want to cultivate better relationships with? So I'm asking some of those questions and really take that time for myself. But today's conversation is not so much about goal planning as much as it is about work ethic and what's happening in the workplace right now. So this conversation is always really targeted towards owners, towards CEOs, and what they're really seeing in the workplace. And a lot of the conversations that I've had just in the last two weeks since I've come back from this holiday break is really around the new state of our childcare industry of the educational space, more so from a place of work ethic. So I want to kind of just give context to everyone who's watching, and then I've got some really fun questions for you. So I find that a lot of people who are older, so older, what I mean, 35 and above, really have a very different, and again, this is a huge generalization, but in general, have different viewpoint around work ethic. It's not just about what do I get? What do I need? What is my paycheck? What are my benefits? What is my PTO? But it's also so much about what can I give the company? Where am I adding value? Where is there opportunity for me to grow? How can I help the CEO do better? How can I help the company do better? They're asking a lot of those questions of how can I provide value? Whereas today we're seeing a lot of self-advocacy in the name of self-advocacy of, hey, I need a raise. I need a promotion. I deserve this. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Not realizing that it's really a two-way street. It's not the CEO's job to constantly just pour into you without any expectation of anything in return. You're not a child. You're not my child, right? My child I give with no expectation, right? So talk to me a little bit about what you're seeing, Scott. We're in a similar industry. You're in software. So I know your company has a little bit different dynamic, but would love to hear just some of your thoughts on work ethic right now. Yeah. So I think there's this, and actually I'm starting to see some kind of like knee jerk reactions against this. But when I first got into entrepreneurship, there was this tone of, of hustle and there's like all this, they call it hustle porn. And just like, there is no work-life balance. And if you want to win and have these really outpriced results and entrepreneurship, self-care goes out the window. Thinking about work-life balance or having a family. Honey, before we got on, we were talking about my schedule, which is really crazy. I spend two weeks a month away from my wife, my favorite person on the planet, thank goodness, at going to Buffalo because that's where my business is. And that's what we had to do. So I think there's this like this fetish with hustling. And I think there's kind of this rebound effect of, you know, entrepreneurs or people that are upwardly mobile that are fighting to get into the C-suite. I think we're starting to see a reset of that. And I think it's generational. I think I'm a bit older than you. I'm 46. Yeah, I mean, you look much younger, but that can always be deceiving. I'm in LA. But I do think there are some generational things that kind of define how we view work ethic. And I know for our customers that are entrepreneurs, our partners that are building body, souls, and minds inside their centers, and they're trying to recruit staff, I think their reset and view of work ethic has to be very different, right? Like, honey, I know when I got out of college, the coaching was go eat crap in corporate America for 10 to 15 years try to make a great career for yourself. You're going to make no money. It was boiler room times. You're going to work 45 to 60 hours a week if you want to hold your own and compete in this economy. And I think that's changed a bit and probably for the better. I think sure. there are good components 
of not working yourself to death. Yeah. So, and I think that's where this is an ongoing dialogue because while I think the way I was raised or you were raised or so much of the mindset of work was extremely unhealthy, right? To the extreme of never taking a break, of never sitting still for a moment, never taking time to pause, to really assess the quality of your decision-making, to assess the quality of the team that you're building, the culture that you're building. So I believe we're making strides in a beautiful direction. We're talking a lot more around culture, work-life integration, the quality of life that our employees have, right? Not just about what can I extrapolate from my employees and how much can I squeeze them, but we're asking better questions. I also think that in any time we go in a different direction, we pull some things from the other side that aren't necessarily the right thing or what's healthy for the business or for the economy. And I think that is where we're seeing weak-minded, so not physically weak, weak-minded individuals entering the workplace where the moment there's conflict, they're out the door. The moment something is challenging, they're like, I don't need this. The moment something has a confrontation, I'm calling it a mental health day. And so we're seeing less resilient individuals coming into the place and expecting to be cushioned and cuddled. And it almost has become the responsibility of the owner to constantly, like, I feel like they're playing like pool, right? They're like, okay, what hole do I put this one in? And how do I design this? Like, it's a lot of strategy and emotional energy that I don't think is necessary for the owner to exert. So... I want to hear from you. And for those of you that are watching live or watching the replay, let us know some of the stuff that you're seeing in the workplace from some of the younger teachers that are coming in as well. So let's talk about that, where it's a little bit of an entitlement culture. We've kind of shifted in a completely different direction. So honey, I think about the millennial as an archetype, right? We've tried to study what creates kind of like the euphoric experience. Let's go beyond a place to work. We're cool with it. Let's, we've really tried to think about Let's create a place of work for the generation of the employee that we serve that's euphoric, that they love, that they are proud of. When they tender their business cards, if that's not outdated, they are super, they are super passionate about the brand and feel great about the company they work for. So we have found that the millennials are the most ethical generation thus far. So there's a lot of social justice in there. There's a lot of ethical practice focus, but that's great. We feel like that is a feature and not a bug. That's something that we can really integrate into our business. Also, this generation has been marinating in immediate feedback their entire lives. I mean, honey, I, I don't know about you, but I remember when we got our first microwave and it seems like, and that was just like such a shortcut and such a hack. And then my first cell phone I got in 1997, it was just like, yeah. what? what is this? And it didn't have apps on it, didn't have immediate. When you wanted to know something, in my day, you went to the library, there wasn't this instant gratification kind of like culture, right? And I think we have to lever that. Yes, you're right. Is resilience a feature in this generation that we're seeing? No, but it could it become one. Could we have tough times ahead? And honey, I don't know about you, but I've, in my career, I launched out of college in 1997, really kind of tough economic times. Things started to maybe improve as I started my career. Then we had the dot-com bomb. And then 2007 happened. 
there have been times where your career and my career just blew up. The economy wasn't, you know, we didn't have kind of like this. I just don't remember bailouts. I don't remember PPPs as I was coming up. It was kind of like if the economy, yeah, if the economy was demolished in 2008, all your friends lost their houses and we all lost jobs. And were we going to be standing in a breadline like Russia? I do think those conditions create some resilience. And I don't think this generation is without resilience. I just don't think it's been untapped yet. Okay. So let's dig into that a little bit further, right? So technically I'm considered a millennial, right? I'm 34. Yet in 1997, I was still in elementary school, right? So to me, I think so much, it is not so much the age, but also the generation that you grew up in, right? So I'm first generation American. Both of my parents are immigrants. They grew up in communism. My dad stood in the bread lines, right? He talks about that. And so I grew up with this concept of you work your tail off for what you want. You want something, you're going to work for it. Nobody owes you shit. Nobody owes you anything like I grew up with that mindset so much like I never saw my dad we saw him on the weekend he was up at five came home at 10 like there was such a mindset of like you have to work for what you want in life both in relationships nobody owes you a meeting right in anything and I think the hard part that I find when it comes to the conversations that I'm having with owners is and I think I'm just like on this research concept of like how do we really help these young teachers it's not necessarily their fault quote unquote of like why they keep saying, well, that's not my job. Well, I don't really do that, but I don't get paid for that, right? As opposed to saying, let me chip in, right? How do we really start to design the environment around that? Because I also think like so much of the resiliency I had came with a price, right? It's not that it didn't come with trauma or so many other components to it. And I don't want that for my kids. I don't want my kids to be resilient and also have traumatic experience, right? I want to separate. I've heard that from so many of my rich friends that say, my children, I look at them and their feet are soft and their hands hands are not worn. I love that you said you're a first generation, you're a child of an immigrant family or an immigrant culture, because it's proven that children of immigrants are the most successful class. And there's a reason for this. There's like this inherent built-in gratitude. You saw your parents struggle with language. You saw your parents struggle with employment, building networks. Hey, I graduated as kind of like poor white trash from Texas. So we're kindred spirits. But I do think we have to look at the workforce. Like this worker class, over the next 18 months, I think we're going to see some of the biggest challenges with staffing. ever seen because this worker class they don't believe in this like hierarchical workforce again that whole classical conditioning of me getting out of college and knowing i was going to eat crap in corporate america work crappy jobs I'm trying to clean up my language a little bit. It's okay. It's okay. It's all over the place. This is a great hit show. <laughs> okay. Okay. I knew I would eat shit for years. I don't think this millennial workforce really trusts in that. I don't know if, how they've been classically conditioned to approach the economy. And again, it might go back to these children are not kind of experiencing the aces that maybe we did as we grew up. You're a school leader who wants tools, resources, and just plain strategies of how to really lead your school and build a school of excellence. Well, I created something called the School Leadership Toolkit, which has over 10 resources covering topics like parent-teacher relationships, difficult conversation, teacher appreciation ideas, and time management, along with to-do list management. Some of the things that you get in the School Leadership Toolkit is how to lead parent-teacher conferences, 
This is a masterclass training and to show your staff so that they can lead conferences with ease. We have a parent partnership blueprint, which is the step-by-step formula for authentic parent relationships. I have a training on how to get your to-do list done and how to create your calendar for one-on-one meetings with staff. I have tools on how to filter distractions so that you can make the best decisions and reflective questions to ask teachers for goal setting and performance reviews, along with so much more. This mini toolkit is actually just the thing that you need to kick off this amazing school year and give you the confidence and the ability to trust your decision making as you head into another amazing year. Go check it out, the link in the show notes or go to hani.me slash toolkit. Gosh, I've heard things like this is a kinder generation. Like, you know, if somebody's being bullied at school, when we were being bullied at school, it was just kind of like, that's what you do. The mark of being pushed was, and again, I'm not advocating like toughen these kids up by bullying. I just think we're coming up against a generation that thinks differently. They're hugely altruistic and really want to attach themselves to great values. And maybe that expectation or that layer in the economy that requires a worker class to eat shit for 10 years, we need to work around that. Yeah. Yeah. So there's so much in what you're saying here. There's truth to each thing, right? Like it's not that bullying made me stronger or whatever it is, right? Yes, it did. And it came at a price, right? I was the only kid in a 500 kid school that had red hair. The only kid, right? I don't know why I had magical genes from my parents. The only kid (laughs) with red hair. I was bullied to death. Like who had red hair, right? So now again, it makes you stronger, right? Now this is like a hallmark of like, I was in Italy in the Colosseum and like the Colosseum is huge, right? This is back in 2017. And there's thousands of people there. There's hundreds of different tours. And I hear someone calling my name and I'm like, okay, is that my name? Like who recognizes me here? Anyways, I turn around, turns out it's a client of mine from New York. She happened to be there. I'm like, how did you recognize me? She goes, honey, signature red hair. I'll see that anywhere. I'm like, awesome. <laughs> I am spotted, right? So that total side note, but let's go back to the bully. Let's go back to what you were saying. We're like, there's a conditioning of like, yeah, you're going to start at the bottom of the ladder and you're going to work hard to work your way up, right? And it was an understanding that you wouldn't be treated well at the bottom or you would have to be, you know, eating garbage at the bottom. I have a question about, because I think it's less of work your way up, I think so much more of how do we design a place where there's a reciprocity, there's a little bit of a stronger minded around, here's a question that just came up. And I'm curious your thoughts. I was talking with an owner who wants to promote who's an amazing teacher to director. And she's like, this person, I think she'd be an amazing director, but she only wants to build relationships with staff. She doesn't want to hold them accountable. She doesn't want to have to follow up on them. She doesn't want to have to do any of that. I'm like, that's the job. The job is to hold people accountable. If you care enough about someone, you're going to hold them accountable. If you care enough about someone, you're going to have difficult conversations. And I think that's where there's such a misalignment where if I love you, then I'll never hurt you. If I love you, then I'll never say anything not nice or I won't have a conversation. Why is it this or that? I think that, yeah, as leaders, and we've had this conversation so many times about leadership 
leadership is, in my opinion, 90% of it is your handling of those tough conversations and your thoughtfulness. Like my wife was telling me that she works for a big, a huge company and there are rumors about kind of their management tier and they'll hire these grad students and she'll come home once a week and tell me about kind of like a lack of EQ. These tough moments where you can have these just wonderful conversations that give everybody benefit of the doubt collateral. The manager, the employee, and they just botched. It's, uh, I need you to do this because of this, because it's your job. And I want to pay raise too. I know you want to raise, but I want to raise too. Stuff like that. I just like, I collapse to the ground like that. How can you be in a position in the workforce? Again, let's talk layers of the workforce where you have people working for you. You control their emotional state. You control whether or not they feed their families and you don't have the the stewardship or the conscientiousness to think about, to take a night off and lay down or like write out how you're going to approach this conversation and then maybe map the cascading dependencies. I think we all have to be better at those conversations and be super ethereal and just too good for this world when we're thinking about other people's careers. And again, back to that benefit of the doubt collateral that you gain by doing that. I can't tell you how many mentees I've earned over the years just because I'm thoughtful and just because I'll sit down with somebody and just give it to them. Like, hey, your career is going nowhere because of this. And if we work on that, and here's what I think, I think you should read this book and then let's talk about it. And then I'm going to set you up with a mentor because this person in our center is the best person on the planet, I think, at doing admin work and billing. You do all the other stuff great, but I want to level you up here too so that you're prolific and that you have like the whole package. You said something interesting around leaders really being intentional about difficult conversations and being intentional about how they enter the conversation, how they kind of navigate through it. I always have a sticky note here before I prep for a difficult conversation. And I have three things. It's be curious, be brave, and clear as kind. And the reason for that is because I always want to make sure that I'm asking questions and I'm not judging. So leading with curiosity. Being brave is that I have to remember that I have to say things that even if it makes me uncomfortable, makes the person uncomfortable, I care enough to tell them about it and not being evasive, really being clear around what my expectation is and around what the opportunities are when it comes to that. But I think when I think about work ethic, stronger minded team, like strong teams, like mentally tough teams, I think there's a new narrative that needs to come into the educational space around conflict is normal. Difficult conversations is part of leading a business. Being uncomfortable is okay. You don't need to love your coworker at every single moment of every single second of every single day. It's okay not to like her in this specific moment. It's not okay to play passive aggressive behavior. I think there are certain things where we've raised a generation of people, the moment discomfort comes in, the moment something doesn't feel right in their perspective, in their lens of the world, they're bailing. And it never gives them an opportunity to take something deep enough, to take something further enough to say, have I really given this my best shot? So one thing that I took from Patty McCord's book, she was the head of people at Netflix as they were scaling the company. So Patty McCord's, I can't remember the name of the book. We'll put it in the show notes. One of the things that was really evident to me in that inspired me was 
she felt like it was her executive team's mission and their number one goal to create a safe place at work. And what that meant was safe so that people could be intellectually curious. And I think what you're talking about is really interesting. I think if you pull both levers, you pull that lever of preaching resilience and letting people know that it's okay to kind of grind through things. And that's noble and valuable. And you work very hard as a management team or as an owner to create a place of safety where people can explore new ideas, where they can have contentiousness, where they can have disagreements, they can fight with passion. Again, I mean, is there anything more valuable than knowing you can go to your place of work and fight for your passion and know that you'll be heard and know that you're in a safe place, that you're not going to get canned because you're not fulfilling your job on the assembly line? I really think that there's so much there, Hani safe place to work. And in fact, we preach it all the time, kangaroo time. We want our engineers to feel super safe about presenting the most crazy ideas because sometimes those ideas are really where the gold is. I want to take a small caveat on the word safety, right? Because we just brought on a new team member to help us with delivery. And in the hiring process, so one of the initial interviews, and I think this is actually even in the job description, I talk about how our core values, you know, one of our top core values is gratitude. And another one is the pursuit of excellence, like constantly getting better. In the interview, I said, this company will appreciate what you do. We are constantly giving gratitude to one another. We have a gratitude Slack channel where everyone shares gratitude with one another and give specificity to where other team members are showing up for them. And I said, one of the most important components of this company is we have difficult conversations. We do not throw things under the rug. We lean into the hardship, right? To use Brene Brown's words, we embrace the suck. When you're overwhelmed and uncomfortable, you're going to come talk to me. And when I see something, I'm going to come talk to you. And that's what transparency is. And so I need to know, are you okay with having difficult conversations? Are you okay with being uncomfortable with conflict until we navigate it? That's what we do here. Conflict exists in every business, in every relationship. What's different about this business is I'm very open with you. And I'm going to tell you, there's going to be conflict. There's going to be disagreement. There's going to be difficult conversations. There's going to be risk. You're going to make mistakes. And I promise that I will lean into all those conversations with you and make sure that you're seen and heard. And for some people that scares the crap out of them and they run for the hills, like, no, thank you. I don't want to have any of those conversations. But for the right person, they're like, I'm in, like I'm in. And and honey, I think if it's positioned, like you said, as one of your core values, I think we try to lean into a culture of sharing. We talk about a culture of sharing. We have multiple teams working on different things. We have to kind of like create this culture of sharing because if you don't have a culture of sharing, you can have a culture of gossip. You know, that's the flip side of the coin. Yes, exactly. The other way. And I think having these focusing on, you know, like you said, that culture of gratitude and then also on this, you know, we're going to be transparent. We're going to talk about things. I think that just kind of organizationally, it sets the right tone. You know, your employees aren't worried about, is Hani going into the back uh, with her executive team and expressing that she doesn't love my performance and then I don't know about it. I know that in this culture, there are no like hidden surprises. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Scott, I could talk to you forever about this. 
topic. So I want to just kind of wrap up here in hearing from you for the leaders that are watching this or leaders that are watching the replay. What is a question that they can either journal on, think about when they're going on a walk or in a long drive that will start to trigger their minds around the type of environment and work ethic that they're setting in their centers? Yeah, this is one that I love that kind of like it made my career as I started on corporate America. And I was very lucky to have a, an immediate manager who thought this way. And you could just see it in her ethos. You could just see it. She just loved to level up her employees. She got really fired up about her employees getting promoted. We'd have these lavish parties whenever one of us would get promoted. So it's always been my mindset when I hire an employee, I want them to know my goal for them is to be upwardly mobile and help them maximize their career. And sometimes that's being very honest. So the question is, how can I help each of my employees maximize? I was talking to Alita Mechtel at Shift last week. And they do amazing things with what they call, I think it's their dream box. So they all have to commit to a dream for the year. And some of it's losing weight, some of it's buying a house. And they're open about those things and leveling each other up. And some of it has to do with, hey, I got to get a raise if I'm going to buy a house. So I got to perform. I got to get to an assistant director spot. Some of it has to do with, hey, guys, I'm here at work. I love you guys, but nobody can bring donuts because I am trying to lose weight. I think it promotes a different level of intimacy and appreciation yes. to the people around you when your number one question is, how can I level this person up? Not just on the job, not just for my personal gain but for them too. Oh my God, I love this. I love the idea of the dream box. I already wrote it down. It's something I want to kind of journal on and see if it's something I want to bring into my company. But I always ask my team members who are, well, basically all my team members are in relationships and I'm always like, when was the last time you guys went out? Like, when did you go on a date? When did you go out? Did you go out for lunch? Like, what are you guys doing? Because I know that strong relationships really translate into very strong minds, creative minds. They bring a ton more to the workplace. Like, I want my people to have great quality, intimate relationships in their lives. So that's huge for me. And I'm always asking that question. But I love the idea of the dreams. So the question I want to leave all the owners with here is when you think of your current definition of work ethic, whatever it is for you, what are some of the drivers that have created that definition, right? For me, it's my immigrant parents. I know I speak four languages. I grew up in such a different home. So, so much of that drives my definition of work ethic. And then the follow-up question to that is, is your definition, your current definition, what you want it to be? Or do you want to create something different that's more beautiful, that's more just inclusive, that brings more of your people together? So thank you, Scott, so much for joining me. Thank you, everyone who joined us live. Thanks to everyone who joins the replay. So grateful for these conversations and so appreciate your time, Scott. Thanks for joining me. Love you guys. Yes, it was awesome. Yep. Take care, everyone. Bye. If you are loving the Schools of Excellence podcast and have gotten any value out of it for your school, I would love if you can do two things for me. One, subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. And two, can you please leave us a review? Reviews help other school leaders know that this is the place to learn how to build a school of excellence. And I would be so grateful if you can do that for us. Your help and support makes this show to be able to be listened by the thousands of other school leaders all around the world. Thanks so much for listening, for giving us your time and attention each and every week. And I appreciate that you have joined us.
Hey there, I want to invite you to join me for the Strategic Summer Workshop on Thursday, May 30th at 1130 Eastern. You can click the link in the show notes or go to schoolsofexcellence.com slash summer. In this workshop, I'm going to walk you through how to optimize your already efficient systems or help you tweak some ones that need a little bit more tweaking to help you enter the 2024-2025 school year with ease, with success, and with calmness. Increase your profitability, reduce your expenses, and more than anything, just help you buy back some of your time. I look forward to seeing you there.